Thanks, Terry Chapman, for leading us through the Bible and, uh, get, <clears throat> and uh, helping us. I, I thought it was very helpful uh, in understanding who this God is and all the names from Elohim all the way to Theos or Paraclete. So when he did that, it made me think that today I wanted to kind of just uh, tag on to that. Not, not, that was good. I mean, I, I took those notes and have them all uh, in my notebook now for that. But I thought about this idea, if you will, uh, of those words and those, if you will, those names. Now what? <laughs> you know, now what? What about it? What, what difference does it make? And, and Terry was saying to us, you know, we need to, to consider uh, with our own uh, lives uh, what it means to know the names of this God. And I, I got to thinking about this as, as I was working through it this week, um, that um, uh, we, we have these ideas about God. And I think on your, your handout here, I have this statement. No, here, that's next. Here's, here's the statement. What comes in our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What we think about, or what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. When I thought about that, I thought, you know, we have these views and concepts and understandings of these names of Elohim, Yahweh, you know, Adonai, all those uh, different matters. And the names of God are incredibly important in Judaism. I mean, nobody would even say the name Yahweh. They wouldn't, wouldn't even vocalize it out of fear of, of saying it in vain. They wouldn't even do it. They'd just put four marks in the text or they would just run right over it and wouldn't say anything because the name of God was in some sense, and maybe this makes sense, in some sense is the idea of some kind of brand. You know, uh, do you hear about this nowadays that, that companies are, are, are what they call a get rebranding? You know, have you heard this phrase? You know, they, they've got the brand. At our school, we went through a rebranding. It's, it's right over here. No. <laughs> yeah. I thought they, they were going to bring me and say, Cliff, we're rebranding. I want you to come right over here. It's going to be right here. Uh, that idea, we, we, we rebranded Mid-America. It said, dream bigger, do greater. That's kind of the, the thing. At Crossings, there's kind of a brand around here. What is it? We live by faith. Oh, y'all are going back to class. <clears throat> Man, I'm going to tell Marty. I'm telling on y'all today. Well, yeah, here we go. We're, we're, we walk by faith. We're a voice of hope, and we're going to be known by love. Yeah, that's our brand, isn't it? That, that, that's our brand to say, uh, you call it a mission statement, whatever you want. When I married Becky, you know, this is why that other, when, when I married Becky, uh, I, I married into a rural family that was pretty life unknown to me. I didn't know about farming. I didn't know about, I didn't care about crops. Uh, you know, they said to me, we, we drove in the first time. They said, you can go look at the crops. And I said, nope. So I went and drove in. <laughs> Took me about 12 years to get them to like me after that. <clears throat> but I remember that uh, when I, when I, they had cattle, big animals, and they would have times when they branded them, right? Now, Becky was reminding me about this. She goes, you know, Cliff, it was the practice in Kansas. You know, it's pretty flat. And I made another terrible mistake. When we went to Kansas, and when I, we we're in the fields, and I see these little steel things standing about this high and a wire. I didn't touch it. Now, come on. And I said to them, what's that? They said, that's a fence. Again, I did not read the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I said to her dad and them, that's a fence for what? And they said, cattle. And I said, in Texas, our cattle are lots bigger. And I just step over that thing. It took me about 12 years more to get over it. But I remember thinking, fences and these little things, and, and then they would brand them. Why? Because in some places years ago, there was an open range. And so I thought about this idea about branding. I actually have Becky's family's brand. It's right here. No, <laughs> right here. <laughs> no, I have, I have a, a, it's a double bar. It's A over a V. Alexander, uh, that's not that, but, but the brand. Now, what's the purpose of a brand? Identification, <clears throat> ownership, those kind of things, right? Have a brand. There's a brand. I, I, it just made me, made me wonder uh, in this matter about these names of God and uh, this uh, matter about that, uh, about our, it's almost a crazy thing to say, but our brand of God. 
What, what is the brand on our God? You know, I, I think about this other way. When you watch a lot of NBA basketball, it seems fascinating to me because I have students also that there is this incredible interest in tattoos. You know, my students, I mean, they're, they're going and getting them all the time. And there's, it's sort of a, what, a brand. Like, this is what I want you to know about me. This is, this is what I want. I, I told them, I said, I'll, I'll get one when they can do them without needles. And so, uh, you know, one of those. I have those in the gum wrapper, you know, like that, stick them on. Some of y'all old enough to remember that. But, but this idea of a brand, and, and so people are getting tattoos to say, I want you to know something about me. I want you to know who I am. I want you to know what maybe is valuable to me. So, so this idea of the brand of God or the brand on God, I want you to think about this. And so we're going to work through this here real quickly. Yeah, I think so. Is this, how we got our brand of God. Now, I'm using that where it's kind of a double entendre. Brand meaning the kind of God we have and the way we identify him, the way we identify God. And there'll be some people say, don't, don't say the way we identify him. I mean, we live in a culture now where the idea of is God, and I say to people, well, he's neither, he's a spirit. He's revealed himself as a male person, but he's a spirit. Jesus is real clear about that. So what is it about the brand of God? I, I want to suggest to you that all of us have, through time, somehow developed a brand of God. And it's generally based on several things. And this is a little bit of research I want to do for you here is right this. So number one, one of the ways that we typically come to our brand of God is through significant relationships early in life. Uh, most psychologists say that children's personality is somehow, or pretty close, it isn't irreparable, but it's pretty well set by about four or five. And they have a view of reality as to whether or not this is a safe place or a dangerous place or am I valued or am I not valued. They get this before they can ever read. These are the communications they're getting in the world and the universe they're in. And so some writers are saying that people get their brand or their view of God through significant relationships early in life. Now, what we mean by that is what? Significant relationships. Who would that be? Parents. Grandparents, huh? maybe teachers or older siblings. I'm generally thinking now this is typically being formed before a person ever gets out of the house. This is per typically for, I mean, in young ages, certainly can be adjusted and dealt with. Yes. Well, I think so. I think there's a, some, some people, some children we're finding have a detachment syndrome. Yeah, they can't attach. So these things happen very early with these significant relationships. Now, uh, it's not to blame anybody. It's just to say, this is the way it is. You know, this is how I sort of came into the world and the existence that I had. One of the ways that you might think about it, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. If you're interested in this, I would give you some, some uh, research on this. But most of us have a view of God that's down inside of us here that started very early. And it doesn't just respond to intellectual discussion. It's down in there deep because of our significant relationship. One of the ways you might think about, maybe one of the ways you might think about determining, is that true for me? Is that, how is it? Here, here's how I would suggest that you think about it. One is think about the mottos that you heard in your family over and over and over and over again. Statements. In my home, there was this. Do the thing you fear. My dad said that to me every day, every day, almost every day. It's hard to believe, but I was a fearful kid who wouldn't talk. <laughs> I'm going to say that again. <laughs> and people are saying, God, return us to the past. <laughs> I've been set free. I was a fearful kid who wouldn't talk. When people come to the house, I would hide behind a door. My dad gave me all this information. And so my dad saw that in me and saw that I grew up in a family where there was a lot of fear. And he said, do the thing you fear. Now, he was talking about roller coasters and uh, stuff like that. And yet, that motto that I kept hearing about, I've told you this before, I'll tell you real quick. When I was in seminary, I remember sitting in a classroom with Dr. David Siemens, who uh, was a professor. There was about 80 or 90 of us in there. And he was talking about this, about what are the models you heard. And I leaned over to my friend, 
who I was in class with, and I said this to him. Hey, you know what? I don't have time for this phony, baloney, good time rock and roll. I've got a Hebrew project I'm working on. I mean, I was not disposed to listen to this. And he said, what are the models? And I just never said, man, this, I don't have time for this. I'm working on a Hebrew project. And this carpenter is going to ask for this in a few days. So I'm sitting there. And as he talked, I said over to my friend, I don't mean to frighten you, but I do need you to know something. I'm at the Texas State Fair. I'm eight years old, and I'm in the front of a roller coaster by myself with my dad and my brother behind me. Don't freak out. I know I'm at seminary, but I can see this like it's happening right now. I remember that because my dad put me on that roller coaster in the front car by myself with my brother and him back. And when we got through at the end, he asked the carnival guy, did that boy cry? And I remember that carnival guy looking at me like, you poor kid. <laughs> really? It's bad when the carny has more compassion. Now, my dad was doing, listen, my dad was doing the best that he could. Best that he could. I cried all the way home. And I called my mom and I said, I got to ask you a question. Is this true? Am I making this stuff up? Because I had been so driven by God to do what I feared. Becky will tell you, often in Houston, I would try to find outlaw motorcycle gangs and bars where nobody looked like me at night to go witness and preach to them. Not because I loved them, because I was afraid. I actually left the church. Wayne and Linda were there with us. They knew that. I actually left the ch pastoring a church of a constituent of nearly 1,000 people because I said, I hate this God. I can't stand him. He makes me do what I fear all the time. And there are a lot of fearful things in Houston. <laughs> Lots of them. So I asked my mom, did I hear that? She said, you heard that every day of your life. I thought, isn't that interesting that that motto that I heard, I had transposed it up to God. You know, some of us have heard, you made your bed, now you're going to sleep in it. No wonder you have trouble believing in grace. Right? We've heard all kinds of mottos in our life. You know, good people, are, are, are big boys don't cry. You know, God is not attentive to your needs. He's not interested in how you feel. You don't cry, you're a big boy. It would just be interesting for you to think about what mottos did I hear early that, that even though I know his name is Elohim and even though I know he's Yahweh, down in here, I'm relating to him like a four-year-old because that's what I experienced in that regard. Now, I'm not saying, again, I, I teach this to myself. I'm not, we're not talking about blame here. We're talking about understanding. I'm talking about blame. My dad was doing the best he knew how to do. He was trying as hard as he knew. He, was, he thought, I don't want my son to be afraid of roller coasters. There's no real danger in those, generally. <laughs> Still not real crazy about them. <laughs> uh, but, but he was saying, you, you got to face that. Now, some of that's true. But what had happened was it had formed into my view of God. Becky would tell you all the time. I, I remember several times I'd call her at night when I'd be out. We'd have cell phones back then or pagers, you know. It was back in the olden days. And I'd say this, hey, I'll be home here in a few minutes. And she'd hear me muffling the phone and she'd say to me, you're in a bar, aren't you? Now, I wasn't drinking. But she said, you're in a bar, aren't you? And I said, yeah. She said, Cliff, you're going to get killed. Because all the bars I went to were either all Hispanic or all African-American. Nobody looked like me. Why? Do the thing you fear. You're going to show God how much you love him. Do the thing you fear. I went into Houston. Well, stop it. Anyway, that's one thing. Second way. Here's another one that, that we get our brand of God. Here's another one. And that's through uncritical reflection on life experiences. I'm stunned at times what I hear people say God did. I'm just personally stunned at times when people say, well, God took them home through some tragic, crazy accident. Well, listen, sometimes we try to, what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called, put God in the gaps. Something terrible happened. Something unconscionable happened. Somebody misused their freedom. Something happened crazy, and we say, well, God did it. I don't want to do that. I want to think it through first to say, wait a minute. Is God the cause 
answer this in your own thinking. Is God the cause of everything that happens in the world? What did Jesus teach us to pray? Your kingdom come. Matthew 6. Your kingdom come. Your will be done upon earth as it is in heaven. I know this is disturbing when I tell myself. I know I'm going to tear your worldview up here a little bit. Because some people have some comfort in the idea that everything happens, happens for a reason. And it is. And some of them are really stupid. <laughs> some of them are really bad. Because there is more than God's will going on in this universe right now. There are people who are misusing their freedom and causing harm and difficulty. And yet somehow we sort of bought into the idea that everything that happens is God's will. Now, you can refer to Romans 8.28 when it says, We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. It doesn't say that everything is good. It said God causes all things to work together for our good in Romans 8.28. And so this uncritical reflection of just kind of saying, well, it happened, so God must be in it somewhere. I would say this, that God can be if we'll trust him, if we'll look to him. And so sometimes our brand of God is because we've uncritically reflected on God. I had a student say this to me the other day. I think it's probably right. I don't think at this point in my life, at least, I've met a person who's an atheist because of intellectual arguments. I've met several atheists or claim to be atheists because they lost a parent in a tragic accident or they had someone they loved get blown away by some experience. It's not an intellectual argument. It's a, if this is the kind of God there is, it's easier for me to deny his existence than to deal with his presence, right? It's easier to deny God's existence if he acts like that and operates like that than it is to deal with his presence. Is this disturbing? Talk to me a little bit here. Do we want to believe that everything that happens in the universe is the direct will of God? Is that where we want to go? I don't think so. I think we want to say there are multiple wills. Karl Barth basically said like this, there are multiple wills in this universe. There's God's will. There's the enemy's will. There's your will. You know, one of my friends said this one time when he's saying, you know, that everything that happens is God's will. They say, well, are you willing to let God make you do everything you're supposed to do? Anybody for that? To say, I'm going to let God do, tell me everything to do. So no more donuts. <laughs> I'm not there yet. I'm not quite that spiritual. You know. But we want God to be in control of everything but us. So this idea of how we got our brand. I, I probably told you this, but years ago I was in, when I was a pastor in Louisiana, um, I'd led a Bible study with some guys and a guy came up to me and said, you know, I used to be a pastor. And I said, yeah, I, I knew that. He said, but I kind of got away from the Lord and um, got into some other things. And then he said this to me. I mean, just as bald-faced as he could right in front of me. He said, and when I kind of got away from God, the Lord drowned my nine-year-old son to get me back in the ministry. Now, generally, I have a little more filter, and I just said to him, it's not possible because you're not that important. Anyway, I said, no, you're not that important. Your nine-year-old son's not expendable for you. Are you out of your mind? He didn't come back to another Bible study. <laughs> they didn't ask me back, actually. But I said, Can you, could you ever trust a God like that? That goes around, drowns a nine-year-old son? Again, for again, some reason, some reason, for some reason, somehow, sometimes, some, somehow brings comfort to us. But I'm telling you, I think it's a disaster waiting to happen. Jesus told us, pray this, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's not being done. It is not God's will that any should perish, right? First Peter 5, is anybody perishing? Yeah. yeah, it's not God's will. It's not God's will that any should perish, but they are. He said, pray that my, our, his kingdom would come. We've got to think this through, guys. We've got to be a little more critical in our analysis instead of blaming God for these tragedies that happen. 
So I, I just, I want to ask you to consider that. Um, so third or second, some distorted brands of God. Some distorted. <clears throat> um, haven't given you much scripture here, but I'm working through it. So I've given you some ideas there. Uh, you know, here's the thing about distorted. It, remember going to the to the fair here in uh, Oklahoma and go to the House of Mirrors? Remember going to those? What, what, what do those mirrors do? Huh? Yeah. So you walk in one mirror, what? Huh? You're real skinny. And you go, I want that mirror in my house. <laughs> that's, what, that's the mirror I want. Yeah. And another mirror does what? Yeah, right, right. Yeah. yeah. And, and then they make you tall and short. Now, you know what? Here's what the problem is with distorted views of God or distorted brands. With any distortion, there's enough truth that you know who it is. You know, you see political cartoons. With the President of the United States now, you see this big, you know, gold mop of hair on anything. You, you know, okay, that's Trump. You know, uh, that, that the idea that a dis, the, the problem with a distortion is there's enough truth to make it dangerous. There's a, just enough truth to make it dangerous. And so some of our distorted brands of God, they're, they're close, but it's kind of like John Ortberg, I, this statement said, it's hard to be satisfied with something that almost works. Think about that. It's hard to be satisfied or filled up with something that almost works. See, like, like we think, well, you know, if I just get more money, but that won't work. It, it almost works, but it's hard to be filled or satisfied with something that almost works. And so our distorted ideas, there's enough truth in there that it's dangerous. Here's one of them I would suggest to you, what I'm going to call the overvalued conscience. The overvalued conscience. I think the scripture teaches in Romans 1 that God has made himself known to us and in us. You can see there Romans 1, 21, 21. That God has made himself known to us through creation and in us. But what we do know about this is that the conscience can be trained and malformed. The conscience can be trained and malformed. We, we, we did some of this research, or they did this, some of this research in World War II. How in the world did they say, did those German soldiers do that to those Jewish peasants? Well, they told them long enough that they were the vermin of the world, and they were what was causing the problems of the world, and that's what happened when they did that. They literally obliterated the conscience of those people to where they could kill them. It's a scary thing. The conscience can be trained and malformed. That's why when people say, sometimes they say, well, I don't think that's wrong because I don't feel like it's wrong. Well, the question is, is your conscience healthy? Or is it malformed? That's why the scripture says, some of what Terry said last week in Romans 12, 1 and 2, beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Your conscience may be telling you all kinds of things that are wrong. Or, you know, I grew up in a tradition. I, one of the things when I went to college, I found out that some of the things my church told me were wrong weren't. Anybody do that? Find out? And then I found out that some of the things I thought were okay weren't. Why? My conscience was untrained. Now, I, I find this with my students and others, that this is a tormenting thing for them. That they think every time they have a feeling or every time they have a sense of something, it must be God telling them to do something. Or it must be God instructing them on how to live. But the fact of the matter is the conscience can be malformed. Look here how it can be, maybe. Go to Hebrews chapter 13 real quick. Go to your table of contents. That's in front of your Bible. All right. Go to your table of contents. Kids at school still kid me about it. 1148. Here we go. Just want to show you how. Uh, go to chapter, thir uh, I'm sorry, 12. I think I know where I am here. Yeah. 
And it, appear, it seems to me, this might be an, an illustration or expression of this, of why the conscience cannot be completely trusted. It has to be informed. It has to be trained. It has to be educated. Watch this. Uh, in chapter 12, verse 4, I'll start there. When it says, You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin. And have you forgotten the exhortation which addresses you as sons? My sons, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. I want to suggest to you this is a conscience that doesn't take things seriously. See the word there, lightly? Don't take it lightly. Don't blow it off. Don't act like it doesn't matter. Meet people like that, that their conscience seems to act like nothing really is that important. He says, don't take the Lord's discipline lightly. Verse, the rest part of verse 5, the what? Look, nor what? What does it say? Faint. A uh, numeric standard says faint. What does ESV say? Be weary. Yeah. The word is to fall down. To faint when you're reproved. Here's the two ways the conscience can go in extremes. Too hard and too sensitive. You take it too lightly or you take it too hard. I've been one of those people, I don't know about you, I've been one of those people that I always took things too hard. I thought at one point I was the purpose for global warming. <laughs> it was me. I wasn't praying enough. <laughs> you know, anybody? I mean, I, I had the idea that, that I just kind of lived under this sense that my conscience was always telling me how bad I was. Now, I wasn't measuring up and I wasn't good enough. And here the writer says, don't take lightly the discipline of the Lord. Don't let your conscience be hardened. Well, everybody does this, and it's no big deal, and God will forgive me, and, you know, it's just the way the world is. Or the other side of taking it too hard. Taking it too hard. So the conscience overvalued can drive you crazy. It can make you think that every feeling you have, every impulse you have, every interest, everything you have is from God. And I just say this. Go to 1 John chapter 4. Go to the right. Go to the right. <clears throat> Go to the right. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verse 1. It says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But what? Test, Test the spirits to see if they're from God. Test the spirit. The Greek word there, dokimazo, says, make sure it's genuine. Remember the old Western movies when somebody would come in to pay for something and they had gold? Or what they do? What would they do? Chomp down, you know. Never understood that exactly until I did a little research. Because gold is malleable. It's softer. It'll do that. If it's iron, you break a tooth. <laughs> That's the word dokimazo. Check it. Here we go. Is it, is it real? Is it genuine? Is it, is it something I can trust? Does this make sense? I, 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 yeah, Jerry. I'm trying to make sense of it in that our conscience is tied to our spirit. Can be. Because I think about the logos and the rhema. God takes the standard of truth. Right. Well, he's, let me, he's, there are two words in the Greek you're talking about. There's the logos word, which is sometimes considered the principal teaching of Scripture, and the rhema, which is the personal word that somebody thinks, God said this to me. Right. right. And then Jesus was our example of someone fully given to God mm -hmm. so that what he did think yeah. and what he did feel mm -hmm. was from him. Yep. Yes. Right. Yeah. Just because somebody says the Lord told me, I'd say, well, hold on here. Let's test it first. Does it line up with Scripture? Uh, you know, in, in our tradition, in, in, in our group, we have a tool we use to establish truth. I don't know if I've ever shared it with you, but maybe I have. But we have something that we establish truth. You know, there are, <laughs> I better be careful here. There are, there are lots of churches right now that are struggling with determining what, what, if something's true or not. 
something's true or not, and how do we establish it, and I feel like that it should be this way, that. And in our tradition, and it actually comes out of the Anglican tradition, that what we determine, or how we determine truth, is it from God like that, is we begin with, well, that was a powerful moment, wasn't it? <laughs> Another powerful moment. Brother, cheap church. <laughs> Scripture. Scripture. The next, we, we, we interpret or understand Scripture through the faculty of reason. In fact, there are some that would say that reason is how, why we can understand Scripture. But Scripture, reason, tradition, what has the church believed? What is the consensus of the church over the centuries believed about this? We're not going to just get some. I tell my students, if you found anything new, it's heresy. <laughs> okay? You say to me, I found something new, Dr. Sam. It's her heresy. Okay? So go back to your studies. So it, it, what has the church believed in terms of the consensual teachings? If you don't know that, you need to study Tom Oden. And then finally, experience. Does it seem to flesh out? in good outcomes. And what's happened in our culture today is this thing's been flipped. Experience is the truth factor now. And this is what we call in our tradition called the quadrilateral. Um, Anglicans have used what they call the trilateral. They just, they go to tradition. They don't, you know, you've been around Episcopalians or, or, or uh, those, they don't bring experience into, the, into that uh, matrix. So where's the Holy Spirit in that? Because Holy Spirit teaches. Scripture. I would say the Holy Spirit. Scripture and reason. The, 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 you know, the, the Spirit is not unreasonable. He's just beyond reason. Just because something is beyond reason doesn't mean it's a contradiction or unreasonable. So I think the conscience has got to be informed. Uh, one of my friends said some years ago that um, one of the things that they were finding in uh, juvenile justice with young people that were growing up in a lot of violence in a lot of tough places and having experiencing a lot of pain themselves is that they had very little hope and in some ways they said they had no conscience. It didn't, didn't phase them what they did. Now, that comes out of training, being hurt, being in pain, you know, uh, over time, you know, the conscience just gets warped. So I, I just would say again that we ought to think about this to say that there's enough truth to I have a conscience and God's given me a conscience, but there's also enough distortion to say that my conscience may need to be retrained. Make sense? Okay, I'm going to move on. Uh, there's another one. I'm not going to take time. You, you, you'd make sense of it, but uh, we'll, we'll talk about this. Now, uh, proposing... More biblically informed brands of God. Proposing. I'm going to make a proposal here. Um, and we've already talked about this, so I'm going to run through this one quick. Number one is a God is consistent with the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, he's the grid. He's the grid. Now, I hear people talk and, you know, I stay off Twitter. I, I just, I hear a couple of my friends saying, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. But I'm thinking, but I want to, but I want to, Here's the problem with that. If, if you don't have a, what I would consider a biblically informed understanding of Jesus, then you get what I call hallmark Jesus. Okay? Remember Jesus in Matthew said, said Matthew 10 said this, 1045. I've come to cast fire on the earth and how I wish it was already kindled. In Luke, he says, don't think I've come to bring peace. I bring a sword. I'm going to divide a man and his wife. I'm going to divide a father and his children. I'm going to divide a brother from his brother. What Jesus was saying is this, look, I got to be number one. There's no other relationship in the world that can, can, can compete with me. Wow. John 6, 
Jesus said, if you don't drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can't be my disciple. Huh? And it says a bunch of people left at that point. Remember what Jesus said at that? He turns to the disciples. Remember what he said to them? He says this, literally in the Greek, you want to go too? <laughs> hey, 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 come back, come back. We'll talk about this. These people leave. He goes, hey, you want to go too? Because you can go. Yeah. Have you read uh, Timothy Keller's book, God's Wisdom for Navigating Life? It talks about wisdom and discernment and, yeah. and what direction and things of that come from. And that you don't get the wisdom and discernment without the scripture. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He's uh, he he's a, he's a, what she talking about Tim Keller. He's a very reliable source. He's a very reliable source in these matters, and this is where our culture is, and we're struggling with things to try to decide. And I'm just saying, be careful about the hallmark Jesus. He's fierce. He looked at people and said, "Hey, if you don't." Die and take up your cross and follow me. You can't be my disciple. He, you know, he didn't say stuff like, if you'll just ask me into your heart. I don't know where we got that idea. Really? I mean, like, what? What do you mean, ask Jesus into your I don't understand what that means. Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be harsh here. I'm trying to say, let's get a bigger picture here of this instead of the hallmark Jesus. But the Jesus that said, if anyone wants to be my disciple, they must die and take up their cross and follow me. So, so we want to be certain that our view of God is consistent with Jesus. Remember John 1, just look over here for a second. This, this is where people, I think, um, uh, have, have probably John 1, back over here, when it says this, that Jesus, the only begotten of the Father, John 1, 14, Jesus, the word of God, became flesh and dwelt among us. He was full of grace and truth. Not just grace. Truth. And, and, and this is, again, the kind of understanding we've got to have. It, it isn't this sloppy agape. You know, that's the Greek word for love. It, it just gets sloppy. I, in fact, I said, I told you, I'm writing a a paper for myself to try to work through this because what does it mean to love people? What does it mean to where, where does where does love end and enabling start? Where is that? You know, I, that, that's an important distinction for me. I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm trying to be me. I'm trying to say, hold on here, quit. See, this gets this hallmark kind of. It's kind of like political sound bites. They don't mean anything. They're just sound bites. What does it mean to have Jesus as, you know, you've, you've seen the Chronicles of Narnia, and I didn't read the book, I watched the movie. It's fiction. <laughs> but in the conversation between Mr. Beaver, and they're talking about Aslan, who is the representative of Jesus Christ, is he safe? Remember? Oh, he's not safe. He's what? Good. Jesus isn't safe by any stretch of imagination. He, he is very unsafe. If he wasn't good, there wouldn't be sense messing around with him. Second thing, real quick, we're going to finish someday. To me, this is one of the things that changed my life. A God who's consistent with a God who has your best interest at heart. I think obedience is almost impossible for long if it's fear-based or reward-based. I think obedience is going to be very difficult to do for very long because after some point, if you're normal and have a normal psyche, you'll just get ticked off that God is always trying to make you afraid. Remember, remember the episode in Andy of Mayberry when Opie's getting his milk money stolen? Y'all are old people. Come on, stay up with me here. And 
keeps getting his money stolen, money stolen, money stolen, and talks to his paw, you know. Finally, he has to engage this guy because he can't take it anymore. He's not gonna. He's not gonna let the guy steal his milk money anymore. Just not gonna do it. So sometimes there's, you know, so, sometimes in uh, in some movies they'll say, you know, something. Sometimes what's harder on a man is not being what he needs to be. You, you can't obey God long if you're just afraid of Him. It just becomes transactional, and I think you'll get mad. I did. I just got mad at him. But this is ridiculous. I'm going to say something here. Thoughts and opinions of this teacher, not necessarily thoughts and opinions of Cross Community Church Elderly. Said this in Bible study the other day. You know, I, I live with so much fear of God and, and like that, that, that I, uh, you know, my tradition said, you know, if you sinned or said a bad word or had a bad thought or did something, you drove home and had a car wreck, where are you going? Hell. Yeah. And I said this, and I mean it, I think. I'm working on it. <laughs> I said in the group, I said, well, let me tell you something. I've done some things to Becky that were wrong, you know, that were unkind and, and were hurtful. I mean, I made her cry. And uh, because of who she is, she didn't pack all my stuff and put it on the curb and kick me out, right? So I said, my church basically was telling me that my wife is more faithful to me than my God. Try that one on. But Becky is more faithful to me than God ever was. That's where you'll get. You'll get mad. You'll get mad and say, wait a minute. My wife is more faithful to me than God. She, I, I did a stupid thing to her. I made her cry. She didn't pack all my stuff. She maybe should have put it on the curb. Why? Faithful. So you can't serve God very long out of fear. And you won't serve very long out of reward. Because if the goodies don't come, I'm out. Right? If discipleship gets hard or difficult, oh, I'm out. I, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm done with this. So if you don't get what you want or what you think you need or what you want to have, you're done. The only sustaining way, I think, in my opinion, is that I believe that God has my best interest at heart. And because of that, it's gratitude, not servitude. It's gratitude. Now look at this. This is an Old Testament passage, and we're going we're to be finished. There's go, by the way, there will be plenty of room in the church today. <laughs> you won't have to run. There will be plenty of seats. I'm going to take up like three. I may lay down this morning. I thought about that. Yeah, I just, why not? You know, I paid my tithe. Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. Yeah. Deuteronomy 168 in my Bible. Go to chapter 5. I've probably told you this before, but man, this, this changed my life. And it, it continues to change. I'm not, I'm not all, you know, done. I don't, it's not that I don't struggle at times. It's not that I don't want to leave you with that idea. I don't, I don't, want, you to, I don't want you to think I don't struggle and, and have to, to work through things. It's not, a, it's not an achievement. I'm on, I'm on a journey, not a destination. Look here. In, 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 in Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses is reporting to the people of Israel, this is what God said. So they're all ears. You know, he's been on the mountain. Here they are. And listen, listen, I want you to listen to the heart of God here. Listen to this. Verse 28. The Lord heard the voice of your words when you spoke to me. And the Lord said to me, I've heard the voice of the words of this people, which they have spoken. They have done well in all they have spoken. Oh, look at that. Oh. Oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me, reverence me, and keep all my commandments always that it may be well with them. See the word that there? What, what, what's the purpose here? That what? It may be well with them. What's God's motive here? Our good. It's not, it's not, it's not to hurt us. It's not to push us around or shove us around. God is saying, look, I want you to do this so to go with. Look, look, he, keep, he keeps referring to that. Verse 33, you shall walk in all the way which your Lord has commanded you, that you may live and that it may be well with you, and that you may prolong your days in the land 
watch this connection. I'm going to jump down, but at verse 3 of chapter 6. O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it, that it may go well with you, that you may multiply greatly as the Lord your God, the Father has promised you in a land of milk and honey. So hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your might. How can you get somebody to do that? To love God with all their heart, with all their soul, and all their might. How? By knowing that God wants you to follow him, that it may go well with you. See that? See the connection there? God says, now, now hear this. Now, now here is where the Lord our God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God. Why do you love him? Because he told you to? Or because he said, I want things to go well for you. I want things to go well for you. Now, back up there when I said, you know, fear, you said, Cliff, you're contradicting yourself. Listen, the word fear, there's two ideas here. There's fear, John Wesley said it, that hath torment. Fear that hath torment. The other fear that is this idea is a fear of recognizing what we're dealing with here. See, when I drive my car, I don't text usually. <laughs> Only in an emergency situation. When Becky's not in the car. <laughs> she doesn't mean, you're, you're worrying me, you're worrying me. I said, I'm an expert driver, I'm an expert driver, I'm an expert driver. But I don't, I mean, really, I don't. It, it, it's got to be an emergency or something like that. But I don't do that because I have reverence for and respect for a 3,000-pound piece of metal that has three and a half cubic feet of space to the earth. That's your tires. You do that. I'm doing a little math here on my own, so don't, don't, don't bother me about this. All right? Maybe three and a half cubic feet of surface to the earth, depending on the nature of your tires, and you're going 88 feet a second at 60 miles an hour, and you have all the components of a bomb. Ignition and fuel. So I'm going to respect that. I'm not afraid of it. I'm not driving to, oh, Becky, I'm afraid to drive. Oh, no. I'm not doing that. But I'm also not being stupid and saying, you know, I could do my nails and do a text and dry my hair while I'm driving. I've seen some of y'all do that on the way to work. <laughs> not Terry. He didn't have to dry his hair. He didn't, he didn't have to dry his hair the other morning. Right? See, that's why he gets to work so early. Yeah. See, that's, that's, that's reverence. I want to say it again. Think, think about it. We started this way. Think, think about this. Have you thought about this lately? That when you close your eyes and open your mouth, you're talking to the king of the universe? You thought about that lately? I was walking Buddy the other night, our dog. I'm looking at the sky and I'm thinking... Oh, you're so big. You are so big and so great. And yet you've made yourself known to me. If I went to the galaxy of Andromeda, that's 220,000 light years across. Take you 220,000 light years to go across it. And that's just one. That's the closest one to us with billions of stars. Look, if I know who that God is and I know he wants my best, I think obedience is the result. So I tell my students this all the time. I don't know how long it'll take you to get. It took me a while to get to this point. And you know what? I get in and out of it at times. I think I'm smarter than God. Don't you? I mean, you do that. Doesn't last long. Doesn't last long yeah. He, he pr proves it pretty quick, doesn't he? But obedience will always be like chewing sawdust until you believe he has my best interest at heart. So what are we going to do about this? Here's what I want you to do this week. I want you at least to think about maybe how the distorted view of God about this conscience thing, you may need to just spend some time in prayer or, thought, or talk to someone about it. But then do something. I want you to do something physical this week, okay? I'll do it. You can do it wherever you want to. You put it on your arm, whatever you want to. 
I want you to put on your hand or your arm, number one, which is a God who's consistent with the person of Jesus. You know what the number means. Or number two. Which one of these do you think, this is the one I need to be rebranded. I need to know that God is consistent with the person of Jesus Christ. Or I need to be the one that I know that God has my best. Write it on your hand, your arm, make a tattoo out. I don't care. Whatever you do. But to remind you through the week, after you wash your hands, do it again. If we see that it looks like it's been on there all week, we're not shaking hands with you. Okay? So just heads up. Some of you guys that, you know, wash your hands. But put it on there as a matter to remind you to say through the week, you know what? Do I see God through Jesus Christ as someone who's like Jesus Christ? Or do I see God who has my best interest at heart? Is that how I see him? And do some soul work there through the week. Let's pray. Our great God, why you listen to us is beyond our imagination. But you do. You enjoined us to pray. You enjoined us to ask and seek and knock. You enjoined us to open up our hearts and pray. You're the one that said men should always pray and never give up. You're the one that said pray without ceasing. You're the one that said don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made unto God. So we dare to speak to you because you invited us and you allow it. So would you help us, Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through our Father God, to help us in some rebranding in our understanding, in our lives, to be able to walk faithfully and carefully through each and every experience of life, knowing that we're walking with you, the true God the one we see through the pages of Scripture, we will be so thankful and grateful. We'll live our lives giving you honor and glory for doing that for us. And we pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.